We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Stender, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. To share your thoughts about this podcast or others, please visit facebook.com slash jcastnetwork. Good morning. Happy Advent. It is an honor to be here today. Thank you so much to Reverend Holly for inviting me. This pulpit swap has been incredibly incredible. Hopefully uh, you uh, enjoy my message this morning because my congregants want Reverend Holly for a while. Uh, So that means you might be stuck with me for a while. Uh, But I hope you know what a treasure you have in Reverend Holly, and I look forward to hopefully many more opportunities uh, to uh, be together uh, and to bring our communities together. In June of 1963, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, a leading Jewish theologian and civil rights advocate, sent a telegram to President John F. Kennedy that I really want to share with you. A few months before, Martin Luther King Jr. and other civil rights leaders were arrested for protesting against segregation in Birmingham. Religious leaders, Christians and Jews in Birmingham, objected to King's presence, prompting King to author a reply which we now know as his famous letter from a Birmingham jail. The next month, Birmingham's public safety commissioner, Bull Connor, unleashed fire hoses and police dogs on African-American protesters, including women and children, while many, if not most, congregations and clergy continued to remain silent about the mounting injustices. Heschel wasn't having it. And so he wrote to President Kennedy, I look forward to privilege of being present at meeting tomorrow at 4 p.m. Likelihood exists that Negro problem will be like the weather. Everybody talks about it, but nobody does anything about it. Please demand of religious leaders personal involvement, not just solemn declaration. We forfeit the right to worship God as long as we continue to humiliate Negroes. Churches, synagogues have failed. They must repent. Ask of religious leaders to call for national repentance and personal sacrifice. Let religious leaders donate one month's salary toward fund for Negro housing and education. I propose that you, Mr. President, declare a state of moral emergency. A Marshall Plan for aid to Negroes is becoming a necessity. The hour calls for high moral grandeur and spiritual audacity. Heschel's point is that religion means nothing if it does not respond clearly, forcefully, and directly to the greatest moral crises and challenges of our day. Faith fails and deserves to fail when it is not a progressive force 
for social transformation. It seems to me that this is the good news being proclaimed in today's passage from the Gospel of Luke. And forgive me if I get this wrong. Luke isn't exactly my expertise, but I appreciated the challenge of studying it and preaching from it today. Luke takes care to set his scene in a particularly dark moment in Jewish history. He tells us that his tale occurs during the reign of King Herod. I asked yesterday a friend who uh, had converted to Judaism but grew up in Disciples of Christ, which King Herod Luke was talking about. Was it Herod, who reigned until 4 BCE, or was it Herod's son, Herod Antipater, who is also sometimes called Herod? Uh, which of these was Luke talking about? And she said, you're asking a question that no Christian has ever asked in the history of Christianity. But I think that most, uh, most Christians assume that it's talking about King Herod the Great. Setting the story during this period puts the narrative at the height of the Roman consolidation of power over the Jews of Judea. A zenith of Roman imperial grandeur and also of tyranny and subjugation. But Luke doesn't tell a story about Roman oppression. He doesn't need to. His audience knows all about the injustices and brutalities of the empire. Instead, Luke tells a story about religion. Specifically, he tells a story about the role religion plays and ought to play in challenging and changing the status quo. Luke juxtaposes his dour backdrop, a world plundered and terrorized and subjugated by an insatiable, militaristic, and materialistic empire with a pristine and serene picture of worship in the ancient holy temple. Ironically, and importantly, the very temple that Luke's original, original audience would have known that the Romans ruthlessly destroyed just a few short decades after Jesus' death. The ritual is happening exactly as it is supposed to. Everything, as Luke says, according to the custom of the priesthood. In other words, the world is on fire. And the response of the Jewish religious leadership of the time, along with, in Luke's words, the whole assembly of the people, is to simply go about its normal business, sacrificing incense and praying, without paying much mind at all to the broken world just outside the retaining walls of the Temple Mount. These are religious leaders and practitioners who have a lot to say about ritual and liturgy but nothing at all, apparently, to say about the brokenness of their world. My teacher, Rabbi Sharon Brouse, once called this phenomenon brunching at the edge of the abyss. And just a quick plug here, we're actually, Temple Beth El is actually bringing Rabbi Sharon Brouse to uh, be our scholar in residence this coming January, January 25th and 26th, and all are welcome to join and learn from her. You uh, can recognize her if you subscribe to Time Magazine. She was on the cover of last week's Time Magazine, along with other religious leaders from various faiths, uh, representing a new picture uh, of religious life and pluralism in America. I hope that you'll be able to join us for that in January. In 
coining the term brunching at the edge of the abyss, she was referring to a passage from the book of Genesis. A passage, in fact, that my congregation read in synagogue just yesterday, and which Reverend Holly preached about, in which Jacob's sons grab their younger brother Joseph, strip him of his amazing technicolor dream coat, and cast him into an empty pit. And after perpetrating this violent crime, the older brothers sit down together to enjoy a meal. Brunching at the edge of the abyss is about going about your daily life as if everything is fine when nothing is fine. It's about ignoring profound injustices because you're doing all right. And because getting involved would just rock the boat too much. It's about pretending something is not broken because it would be too much of a disruption of your comfortable status quo to do something about it. To Luke, the Jews of Judea, epitomized by the, by the priest Zechariah, are brunching at the edge of the abyss. They offer sacrifices, ironically to a God who their tradition, my tradition, celebrates for overthrowing the world's most iconic tyrant, securing freedom and justice for a band of poor foreign slaves, while doing and saying nothing about the Pharaoh of their time. They content themselves with the sweet smells of burning incense and comfort themselves with priests who, in the words of Martin Luther King Jr., mouth pious irrelevancies and sanctimonious trivialities while the world burned and their people suffered. In this observation, Luke echoes the critiques of the Hebrew prophets like Isaiah, who centuries later, who centuries earlier lambasted Zechariah's ancestors for showy sanctimony, decoupled from moral action. Slyly and subtly, Luke indicts the religious leaders and practitioners of his period. How, he wonders, could they carry on with business as usual in the temple while the world was burning just outside? It's no coincidence that when this serenity is disrupted by the angel Gabriel, a figure who in Jewish tradition represents God's attribute of justice and supremacy over human power, to announce that the time has come for a new generation of leaders who will inspire people to reconciliation, righteousness, and repair, Zechariah refuses to believe and is struck dumb. In response to the true spiritual crisis of his time, to God reminding him of the real world needs of his oppressed people, and to his awakening that the hour was calling for changing hearts and transforming the world, Zechariah is shown to literally have nothing to say. My friends, I fear that the challenge facing communities of faith like yours and mine in the 21st century is that most people look at us and see what Luke described. They see in our clergy the priest Zechariah, well-meaning, hard-working, and earnest folk who quite literally have nothing to say about the profound and pressing challenges of the day. They see in our congregations the Jews waiting in the temple courtyard, unmoved by and apathetic to the cries of the oppressed just outside the sacred precinct. They see religion that talks a big game, 
as do the traditions that both you and I share about toppling pharaohs, about righteousness rolling down like waters and justice like an unfailing stream, about a God who demands us of us to love both our neighbor and the stranger as ourselves, about making of our communities a sanctuary for the indwelling of the divine presence, about being a blessing to all who we encounter. While the leaders and the practitioners of our faiths stand silently and idly by in a world racked with oppression, injustice, poverty, pollution, hatred, and violence, they see us occupied with small questions. Which hymn should we recite this week? How should we change the seating in the sanctuary? While unconcerned, and unengaged with the major issues that threaten God's children and God's world. They see us brunching at the edge of the abyss. The people who are increasingly turning away from congregations like yours and mine, and from our religious traditions altogether, are by and large those who came of age in the last 20 years. The Gen Xers and the Millennials my generation. We've inherited a world more technologically capable than any in human history. And yet, it is filled with war and violence, increasingly irreversible ecological devastation, deepening inequality, growing authoritarianism, and rampant, unrelenting oppression of the most vulnerable. We feel that the repair of our broken world is within reach, and yet, ironically and frustratingly, more elusive than ever. In this time of turbulence and anxiety and creeping despair, in which the moral call of our ancient traditions is so urgent and so necessary, our religious leaders, institutions, and communities are, in the words of Martin Luther King Jr., too often more cautious than courageous, remaining silent behind the anesthetizing security of stained glass windows. No wonder so many have looked at our worship and have found it wanting. No wonder so many have deemed us irrelevant and have walked out the door. Recognizing this, Luke beckons us to embrace the charge of John the Baptist in a world of Zacharias. We too are called from birth to be the prophets of the resistance, rather than pastors to the empire. To be filled with the spirit of Elijah, the prophet who took the lonely and unpopular path of rebellion against the powerful and privileged of his time to turn people back to the path of righteousness to be the people who work to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Luke is telling us that like John, this is what we too are born to do and what religion, when it is doing its job, catalyzes us to do. Forgive me if I come across as presumptuous here, but is this not ultimately what the season of Advent is about? Preparing for goodness and righteousness to erupt into our broken world. For compassion and justice to disrupt a world filled with cruelty and oppression. For peace to interrupt a world replete with violence. For light 
to dispel the darkness drenching our world. Like John, this has always been our calling. Each of us, from before we were born and this season, this moment, now more than ever, beckons us to fulfill it. The world is waiting for us. For you. And it is fortuitous that this beginning of Advent coincides with the onset of my community's holiday of Hanukkah. Hanukkah, which begins tonight, similarly invites us to bring light to all the dark places of the world. It's a celebration of a small but determined band of Jewish priests whose faith compelled them to fight for what was right, even though it could have cost them everything, even though the odds were against them. Even though it was impolitic and uncouth and controversial and angered all those deep-pocketed Greek and Hellenistic donors. We, too, are called on this holiday to embrace the spirit of those Maccabees, heeding the real-world urgency of our faith, refusing to defang its moral message and decouple it from the realm of politics and social change, being able, when necessary, in the words of Heschel, to embrace high moral grandeur and spiritual audacity. For we only deserve the right to worship God when we have worked to build a world that reflects God's glory. The other day, my four-year-old son, Shmaya, was telling me what he learned about Hanukkah in preschool. The king broke the temple, he said. He was a bad guy. So I asked him, who were the good guys? Who saved the day? The Jewish people, he replied. Wow, I said, did you know that you're also Jewish? And without missing a beat, he fired right back. Yeah, I can save the day too. We Jews and Christians are heirs to traditions that remind us we can be heroes. And not only do our faiths claim that we can save the world, they also insist that we must. Judaism and Christianity not only offer us the promise of redemption, but also demand of us to ourselves be saviors. And if our religions are to remain meaningful in the 21st century, we must embrace our sacred charge to be spiritual revolutionaries. The hour calls for high moral grandeur and spiritual audacity. The only question is, how will we respond? Wishing you a happy Advent, a happy Hanukkah, and Shalom. Shalom.